In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> beloved Orthodox Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, <clears throat> the second Sunday now we are celebrating, since the second Sunday before the Nativity of our Saviour, we're celebrating the forefathers, all those righteous people that came before the incarnation of our Saviour, like we do every year, for as if it wasn't enough one time, the Church is telling by celebrating two times, two Sundays in a row, how important it is to us to listen. The reasons why the Church has allotted that we should celebrate those righteous people, the patriarchs, the prophets, all the righteous ones that came before our Savior's incarnation. And what is that reason? Why is the Church so instilling in us? And even uh, making us to read uh, the names of all those people that came, the generations of people that came before the Holy Theotokos, the ancestors according to the flesh of our, of our Savior. The reason being is to instill in us the reality of the incarnation, that God truly became man in a certain people, in certain time, that he had ancestors according to the flesh when he became man from the Most Holy Theotokos. That the incarnation was not some kind of a conceptual uh, thing. It wasn't God simply appearing as a man and in a vision or in a uh, simply walking in a, as a phantom. No, it was reality of him taking flesh and blood from real people, real people like us, and like we have ancestry, so also, according to flesh, he also had ancestry. Therefore, first and foremost is to stress the reality of the incarnation. The very, the, 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 it was a real thing. He was truly born a man to, from a certain people. Also, it tells us of how God worked tirelessly, generation after generation, right from the beginning, to bring about this salvation, that he wasn't deterred by any obstacles always put by us in the road of salvation. But generation after generation, he worked with humanity so that this would come to pass, so that in a certain time, in a certain place, in this land of passion and sin and thorns and thistles, a beautiful flower would blossom. And that flower would be, so, would be the only one worthy to become a vessel of God. That is, that Most Holy Theotokos would be born in humanity, that unique and singular vessel that was worthy to carry God in her womb. Therefore, God, the, the generations that we read and all this successive, this pedigree of line, that we, is, is God, is the evidence, is the witness, the testimony of God working tirelessly to cleanse one generation after another, to trace this one line of righteous people who would follow him, who would do his will, and therefore cleanse themselves and leave the cleansing that is the blessing to their successive generations so that in the end would come to this beautiful person, the Most Holy Theotokos, who would bear him, through whom he would become one with us. Therefore, the whole Old Testament, beloved Christians, to, uh, to say in one word what it is, it is the, the purpose of the Old Testament. The purpose of the Old Testament is the Most Holy Theotokos, that she should appear among men. And that is why we see God, the whole Old Testament is God intervening in human history so that this would happen. And all those righteous ones, they were not unwilling or, or involuntary, simply accidental uh, tools in God's providence. They were willing participants because they knew that there was a blessing 
There was a promise made to Adam and Eve from the moment they fell. A promise was made to them that there would be a deliverance from their folly, from their captivity of the devil that they had chosen. There would be a deliverance and God would work this to happen. Therefore, this was handed down by Adam and Eve to their children and from their children to their children. And in a certain line of succession, this was kept in living memory that God will come. And therefore, we should be make ourselves worthy of his coming, worthy of this deliverance. And the righteous among the, the people, they yearned to have this blessing, to be partakers and participants of this great plan of salvation. St. Irenaeus of Lyon, for example, says beautifully concerning Abraham, why was he chosen among all the people after the deluge that lived? Of why was he chosen to be the one from whom will spring forth the most holy Theotokos and our Savior? Why did God choose him? Because he said he was of obviously, he was a believer in one God, but he also yearned, wanted to be partaker, a participant, a humble servant of this great mystery that he knew would be accomplished. He knew that a blessing was given to his forefather Sam when he covered the nakedness of his father and therefore received the blessing as him being a righteous man received a certain great blessing. And Abraham being his descendant wanted to get hold of this blessing, not in a haughty way, but to be a humble minister of God's, of God's incarnation. He knew it that something great was, would happen and he wanted to be partaker of that and he proved that he was worthy of this because by his faith, by his uh, trust, by his allegiance, by his loyal, loyalty to God above everything else. Therefore, those holy people that we read, one once more than the others, were willing participants of this great plan of salvation. They yearned to be partakers of this great blessing that would happen. And in their own lives even, they lived not according to the customs and laws of the time, but transcending according to the human strength, of course, of the times, transcending even those, the, the law uh, or, or the custom uh, or whatever time they lived, in living as, as much as was possible according to the commandments of Christ, as much as it was possible even before our Savior's coming, they had stood above the law and had implemented as much as I say as much as it was possible to human beings to do so the uh, noble the exalted and the high commandments of our Savior that is why St. Paul the Apostle says that no man in the Old Testament was justified by the works of the law by the dietary customs and by doing this and doing that the outward things of them no by faith they were they were uh, justified by having that faith that God would become man and would bring a new law. And as much as they could discern in their hearts and their minds, they started even in their times to live in accordance with this law. Therefore, that is how exalted these people are. That is how great and that, that's how lofty they are. And even though they were so lofty, St. Paul says they still did not see the incarnation of God. They saw it from afar. They saw it from a great distance. They saw God in many different images and visions and God appearing in many epiphanies to them. But the incarnation of God, that they did not see. Therefore, they only hoped that one day they will see the face, the countenance of the God incarnate. 
But they did not see it in their life. So as St. Paul says, they died in hope of seeing it one day. And they did. As we chanted yesterday in the doxasticon of the, of the praises, they, when our Savior descended into Hades, that's when they saw him face to face and when he uh, took them up to, the, to, to settle them in paradise. But not in their lifetimes they did not see. And yet how great was their faith. How great was their yearning, how great was their holiness, that even before the appearance of God, they were striving to live in accordance with the law of the gospel, that they did all this marvelous thing of faith that they did even before the incarnation of our Savior. That is why their place in the church is on par with with the saints that came after our Savior's incarnation. There is no difference in the degree, in sanctity, in holiness, in veneration that we have for the saints of the Old Testament from the ones that we have after our Savior's coming. That is how great they were, that from afar seeing only and dying in hope, they still did what was humanly possible with help of God to live in accordance and to, uh, of, of the commandments of the gospel. And that also convicts us, beloved Christians, that we living at the other end of human history, being probably closer to the as to our Savior's second coming, when we have everything at our disposal. We know the commandments of the gospel. We know our Savior's life. We know his words. We know him through the saints that lived according to his to his commandments. We have him at the holy uh, trapeza, at the, uh, in the holy altar, to partake of his very body and blood. That's how much he came close to us we do in his incarnation, yet we fall short so much from the holiness, even of those people that lived before our Savior's coming. And especially we are convicted when we hear the dictum of the fathers who say that after our Savior's coming, after our Savior's coming, those who shall not see him in this life, that is, in their hearts, in their minds, having cleansed themselves, so much so that God should come and abide in them, those who shall not see him in this life shall not see him in the other life. It's, it, it pierces the heart and the soul when one hears this, this, this dictum because it's true. St. Simeon the Near theologian says it so clearly that we should strive to see him in this life. In this life, what we degree we, we reach, that is what we will what we shall, what we shall uh, inherit in the other life. That is why the saints strove with so much strength, in, with superhuman strength to have our Savior, to be bonded with him in this life, to have him abide in, the, in their hearts in this life. And we know that that became reality. All the saints that we hear, even the ones that lived in our own times, many of, our, of the uh, uh, older members of our community had seen Elder Joseph, Elder Hieronymus, Elder Arsenio, people that were God-bearers, people that truly had accomplished that of God dwelling in them and seeing him in this life. And that's how, that is how they reposed. How much that convicts us. A lot, because we are not there. We are not there. More the time goes by, more into more wretchedness and wickedness the world descends, and more we are also dragged along 
Orthodox Christians and even monastics may uh, we be dragged along into this wickedness. For the uh, the more the, as I say, more time passes, more wickedness. The love of uh, of the uh, in the world is waxed cold, and more distant it becomes from God. Therefore, to think even that to have a savior in our hearts becomes more and more distant, even for us uh, monastics. And what this is a great plight. And every time we hear the saints who had God in their hearts and who tell us that we should have, it convicts us and many times dejects us and despairs us. What is the solution? St. Isaac the Syrian, that blessed man like always has something to say to console, to give us encouragement, to give us, uh, to spur us, both to bring us to humility because of our state, but not to despair, but rather to give us hope. And what does he say? In his homily 12, he talks about three stages of, of, of existence, spiritual existence. First is the beginner, the middle, and the exalted, the high. The, the first one is where we all start, where everything we do is accordance with the mind of the world, and passions are rampant in us, and they, they are that guide us. And although, yes, we believe in God, everything that we do is on the level of the passions and of the world. And the exalted one, the third one, is passionlessness, he says. What the saints have reached, they have cleansed their hearts so much that God dwelled in them. But there is this middle one, the middle, the second step. He says when a person is both strives and cleanses to a certain degree, and then he falls back into his passions. And if he reads the scripture, if he uh, attends to himself, if he prays, if he fasts, yes, to a certain degree he strives, but then again the passions are living in him. And he says, what of these people? What of these that uh, that are in this state? And to give you an answer, how beautiful answer he gives, I will read out to you in, in full the uh, this two paragraphs of this homily, which it's... It will be a crime to paraphrase St. Isaac in this beautiful explanation. So he says, about the person who is in the middle, the second uh, uh, grade, that is the second stage, where passions are still there. Yes, he struggles, but they are not going away, and he's not advancing into the third. He says, he should therefore feed his natural ardor in ways I have said, that is, by reading, by prayer, by prostration, by charity, by all those things that conduct, that, that help us to uh, strive for virtue. And should not leave his quest and search and yearning after those things which are afar off, even though he has never seen them, but only the indications of them found in his reading of the divine scriptures. Therefore, those who are on the third stage, those have seen, seen the promise already in this life. God is dwelling with them. But those of us, the majority of us who are in this second that, or even the first, but we're striving to come to the second stage, that we are, so have only seen the indications of the promises in the scriptures. We have not experienced them, but rather we are re- read about them in the lives of saints. And he says he, should, they should not, he shouldn't stop striving, even he has not seen anything yet. And then this is where he brings the connection with the saints of the Old Testament, the most beautiful, and that is why I'm reading this. But, he says, if he dies in this hope, the hope of seeing at least in one day, the face of God of Jacob. 
Even if he has nowhere seen that land from close at hand, nevertheless it seems to me that his inheritance will be with those righteous men of old who hoped to reach perfection, even though they never saw it, as the apostolic utterance says, for they labored in hope all their days and they slept. That is, he, he says that his in that his uh, share will be with those, the righteous ones of the Old Testament, who strove but never saw the land of promise, that is, the kingdom of God, our Savior, coming in their lives, but died in hope. And he asked otherwise, what should we say if such a man were not to gain entry to the land of promise, which is the stage of perfection, that is, lucid comprehension of the truth according to the measure of his natural capacity, is he then barred from it on that account? And does he remain in the lowest stage where the entire disposition is inclined towards things of the left, that is, sinful things? Or because he has not apprehended the whole truth, shall he then continue in the ignobleness of the lowest stage, which has no knowledge of nor any desire for these things? Or is it fitting that he should be raised to that, uh, to, uh, that middle stage which I have mentioned? Or even, though he has never beheld it, not even through the mirror, still he hoped from afar, and through his hope he added, he was added to his fathers. And although he has not deemed worthy, he was not deemed worthy to, of perfect grace while here, nevertheless, because he was always conversant with it, and with all his understanding he always absorbed himself in it, and because his desire was fixed, Upon it, as long as he was alive, he was able to cut off evil thoughts. And so, his heart being filled with God, he departed from life with this hope. This is how profound St. Isaac the Syrian is. And every time one opens his writings, one comes to such a realization that let all the vaunting of the vain wisdom of this world disappear and let us feed ourselves with this honey that comes from this man. How beautifully he connects our wretched state. We who are in this plight, especially in our day and age, in this time of, of the world advancing towards it, the, the, the second coming of our Savior. How he gives us hope, both humbles us saying that we are not even at that stage of the righteous of the Old Testament, or we are because we have everything at our disposal, and they didn't, and yet we have to find solace in their stage. That's how terrible our state, that humbles us. But also, it doesn't despair us. He doesn't tell us that you should despair of this, but he says struggle. And if you struggle, yet you see passion still there, but you die struggling. You don't give up but you die on the battlefield. You don't flee the battlefield, but rather you die there, even if you don't see the victory happen on the battlefield, but you died in the process of it. You will be accounted with those righteous people of the Old Testament who died in hope, hoping that one day they would see uh, us a savior. And they did. This is how, how, how much wisdom comes by reading St. Uh, Abba Isaac, the Syrian. Let us therefore hold on to this. They should never give us excuse not to strive for, for higher because as long as soon as that appears in our heart, an excuse not to strive for perfection, then all our labors will be of no avail because our heart would not be striving in sincerity but rather in duplicity and hypocrisy, finding excuses of sins. 
But if we truly strive uh, to, to do our, our part and to, to have hope in God's mercy, then it shall happen. Even if we don't see it happening every day, if passions still are there, if, if, if the world of our worldliness of our mind is still there, still, if we strive and if we struggle and if we die struggling and, and, and fighting, uh, at, at least let our share be with those blessed men of the Old Testament who also struggled even before the coming of our Savior and they died in hope. And because they died in this way, they were deemed worthy that our Savior should, should shine his face, uh, shine the brightness of his countenance on them and save them. Of this, may our Savior deem us worthy also. Amen.